Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Ruth. So if you have a Bible, we're in Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, or you can follow along on the screen. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Uh, Zoe's going to come and speak to us now. Uh, shall we pray quickly before she speaks to us? Lord God, uh, we ask that you would be speaking through Zoe now, that you would help give her just the right words to say. And Lord, we ask that you would be at work in each of our hearts uh, to speak to us individually into our lives and to speak to us as a church. Amen. Thank you, Letty. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning. Good morning. We are in the fifth instalment of Ruth as we go along together studying this book, asking uh, what it means for us today as we think about uh, living faithful lives in our everyday. And Letty's just read our passage from chapter two this morning. And as we go, I think we're going to see a couple of images together. But first, let me say that my favorite type of books are picture books. Okay, so that's, that's the warning that my sermon comes with this morning. My favorite type of books are picture books. And that will make a little bit of sense in a moment. And my favourite type of dialogue or kind of um, speech, if you like, is conversation. I love it when each of us have a voice. 
when each of us sees something and share, and it builds this bigger picture of what God is doing. Because God speaks so creatively through his church, I believe that God gives pictures and vision, visions and images and that God is speaking to us and can speak to you and can speak to me. And this morning, my heart's prayer is that God would speak to each of us and show us something in this passage of Ruth and bring kind of the picture to life for us. And... The reason that's my prayer this morning is as I was studying this passage this week, I was asking God, what are you saying to me? And often when I read a, a piece of scripture, I ask the Holy Spirit to nudge me or to remind me or to kind of highlight to me things that are going on in the passage. And then that gets me thinking and then I start to study and I might go down a little kind of rabbit hole as, uh, as you like. But as I was reading this passage, I just saw images come to life. And before I share the image that spoke to me as I was preparing for, for our thoughts today, I just want to paint a few pictures. I want to describe a few images, and I want to ask the question, what do you see in our passage today? So go with me as I put some pictures on the screen as I paint a story of some images that I think we see before we study one image and then the image of Christ through the life of Boaz together. But I wonder how God is speaking to you. And this is my picture book of Ruth chapter 2 verses 14 to 23. The first picture or image that I think we see is a kind word spoken to someone that makes all the difference. A kind word that brings comfort. The second image that I think we see in our passage is a place at the table that is being offered to someone. A place at the table being offered. Then we see and we hear and we learn and I think we can smell a great feast coming to mind. Food and abundance and there being food at the place of this table given to Ruth. And then we read in scripture of the leftovers, the abundance, the too much provision, the generosity that overflows the fullness of life to the brim. We read about the leftovers that Ruth couldn't eat. And then we hear and we see and we picture a conversation going on, a conversation of protection. Don't harm her. Pull out the stalks from the bundles and leave more than just the edges. Blatantly leave food behind for Ruth to glean. And then as we keep reading the story, I see a picture of a sun setting over the harvest field. And we're told that it's evening, which is a dangerous type time of day, but we see the sun setting over the harvest field. And then we see and we picture a woman carrying home everything that she gleaned, potentially pulling a, a large sack of what is an ephah, nearly five gallons of grain or barley. You can picture it, can't you? The plodding along, carrying this great weight, weight all the way home. And then I think we see a surprised face on a mother-in-law who is baffled by her productivity. 
asking, where on earth have you been? And then I think we see a look of amazement as it dawns on Naomi that Ruth has been in Boaz's field as she declares to her, he is one of our kinsmen, redeemer. And then I think we see again more offers of protection, more mentions of harm that could come her way, a vulnerable woman in a harvest field gleaning. And then I see God's feathers falling all around her as last week we discussed together that blessing that Boaz speaks over Ruth's life, that she may find comfort under the wings of God, shelter and protection, the God of Israel stretching out his feathers, his wings. And then I think we see a bitter lady beginning to praise God again. And then we see an invitation to keep harvesting, to keep harvesting throughout the season. And the final picture I think we see in these verses is hope starting to arise. We don't see any circumstances change yet. Ruth continues to work throughout the harvest. And we, the last verse that we read is that she is still living with her mother-in-law. Nothing has changed, but hope is arising because a future and a way out of their circumstances has been discovered. So what do you see this morning in the passage, I wonder, as you read the verse, the verses and the words, and you see the pictures that they are creating? What image strikes you as you hear the word spoken, as you see the story painted? Because the image that I was drawn to, go on, tell me. You see that stretching, the father sheltering his people. No, I see that too in the passage. But another image I was drawn to was this idea, and maybe it's just because I love them, but this idea of leftovers that we see in the verses. If you're following along in verse 14, we see that Ruth had more than enough. Ruth was invited to come and take a a seat at the table and to eat with Boaz and his gleaners and potentially the other harvesters and was given a seat at the table and was offered to dip her bread into wine vinegar and then offered roasted grain. And we read that she ate all that she wanted to and then she had some left over. She eats all that she wants to and there was more left over. Today we're exploring Boaz's kindness, his generosity, his abundant provision for Ruth. And as we go, we are going to see together how Boaz is an image of Christ offering uh, God's abundance in this circumstance. Because our God, the God that we worship, is a God of abundance. He is more than enough for us. He provides enough for us and more. He is the God of the leftovers, not because he's a poor planner and he doesn't get his quantities right, or like me, I follow the batch lady on Instagram where she encourages us to cook more so you have supplies for later on. No, God is a God of abundance where there is always more. We can't out-resource God. He has more to offer us. 
And as we study now Boaz's role in the story, as we pursue together the God who is orchestrating this redemptive story as we thought about last week together, and as we see how each character simultaneously works with God, Ruth says, I will go where you go to Naomi. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. We are seeing this outstanding loyalty and character being revealed as we study. And it's, made, it's supposed to make us go, wow, they're going the extra mile. And as we see their boldness and their expressions of God's abundance, we know the context that this story is written into. And we've explored it together in the days when the judges ruled. It's described as the anarchy before the monarchy. They're crying out for a king and the people are living in absolute chaos. So we're supposed to read about these characters and go, wow, they are living differently to the world around them. And God is at work. We spoke about these just uh, so happened or turned out moments last week where God is, uh, the God coincidences that you can't explain in any other way than him being involved, orchestrating and providing and meeting the needs of the widows in the life of Ruth and Naomi. But today, we are zoning in on this character of Boaz and how he shares the characteristics of God, and he is demonstrating them for Ruth. So what do we see? We see kindness that brings the vulnerable and widow comfort and shelter. We see gracious generosity that means not only does Ruth have food, she has leftovers. We see abundance. We see Boaz go the extra mile. Not only does Ruth uh, have a, an invitation to glean in his land. We see the stalks from the bundles that are being blatantly left out for her. We see the place at the table that she is offered and a place in a field where protection is assured right up until the end of the harvest season. And we go, wow, what great generosity. And our reaction should be like Naomi's reaction that we read about in verse 20. We can tell of Naomi's great joy and praise towards God. Her declaration is, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. And she goes on to explain to Ruth this kind of secret that I spoke about last week that we know about, but they don't know about yet that actually this is Boaz, this man is our close relative and he is one of our kingsmen redeemers. And Naomi's reaction is powerful because here is a lady who previously exclaimed on her return to Bethlehem, call me Mara. And that means uh, bitter. Her declaration was the Lord Almighty has made me bitter. And she didn't realize that Ruth was a, a blessing of, from God for her because her circumstances were, were so full of sorrow. Loss after loss as she experienced being away from her land, losing her husband and her two sons. But now we see her reaction. She is asking for the Lord to bless Boaz and she is making the link between Boaz being their kinsman redeemer and God providing for them. 
Someone who was previously so bitter and blind to God, now praising God and seeing him at work. But we're not sure who is the one being kind. Who is the one showing kindness to the living and the dead? Is it Boaz or is it God through Boaz? Is it the Lord showing his consistency again? He hasn't stopped showing kindness to them. That's what the verses tell us. So I just want us to think about this idea of kindness and study this word for a moment. Because when you study this word kindness in verse 20, it's helpful to know that it's translated as hesed, which again, in Hebrew, there is no translation in our language that does this verb justice. So it's often a verb used to describe the relationship between God and his people. And there's a handful of times in Ruth where it's used to explain uh, Ruth and Boaz's relationship to one another. But it's a verb or term used to describe a covenant relationship where one person, normally the stronger, is uh, assuring their promises to the other. And it's a warm and loyal love, and it describes faithfulness and kindness and goodness and mercy and love and compassion all in one. And it's a love and a motive that is normally so deep and carried out so that someone is protected. It's an act that keeps someone else safe, and it's a voluntary act that goes way beyond the call of duty. So this isn't just a random act of kindness that we're talking about in our culture. It means and has much more depth to that meaning. It's a voluntary act of mercy from someone who might be stronger to the weaker party, who is in an established relationship to, with the aim of keeping this person safe. So here we see God showing his compassionate mercy through Boaz for Ruth. And I said at the beginning that for me, this passage can be brought to life in different images that we see. And when we meet Boaz, we're supposed to understand that he is an image of Christ who is to come. And others describe this as Boaz being a type of Christ, meaning that we get a foretaste of Christ's character to come before Christ appears in the Old Testament. So I just want us to explore for a moment how Boaz is an image of Christ who is to come and what that means. And this revolves around this idea of a kingsman redeemer that we spoke about last week. This cultural practice in the law stemming from Leviticus chapter 25, where it's the practice for a family relation to step up if it's needed. And it's their job to step up and redeem the family if a widow has been left childless or without land or has become ashamed because her husband has become enslaved and indebted, therefore the land is no longer his. And it would be their job to marry the widow with the aim of having children to ensure that in the future generations there would be a name and a family name in the land. So to be a kingsman redeemer, you have to qualify with four criterias. So the first one is that you have to be part of the family, part of the clan. And actually, it'd be the closest family member that would have this responsibility first. Secondly, 
You had to be willing. So as the story continues in Ruth, and you'll know and we'll look at it together, there is a closer unnamed kingsman redeemer in the story. But he's not willing to marry Ruth. So you have to be willing. Then they have to have the means to redeem. So in terms of wealth to buy back the land... Uh, and we're led to believe that probably Elimelech would have sold his land before they moved to Moab. So you have to have the means to redeem the family. And fourthly, you have to be able to pay the price in full. So you couldn't partly redeem because the idea of this Kingsman Redeemer is that it's your job to redeem and restore something that was lost and then give them a new identity going forward. So you couldn't partly do this. So you had to be a family relation, you had to be willing, you had to have the means to redeem, and you had to be able to pay the price in full. And if Boaz is an image of Christ who is to come, then how does Boaz show the compassionate, loving kindness that Christ shows to us? So if Christ is the ultimate kingsman redeemer, if he comes to redeem and restore us when we were lost and ashamed in our sin, and he restores and redeems us by giving us a new identity, then we have to ask, how does Jesus fit those four criterias? How is Jesus part of the family? For Jesus to be part of the family to redeem and restore us, he had to come. He had to be like us. We read in scripture that the word became flesh and made a dwelling among us. Jesus, fully man and fully God, had to become like us in order to redeem humanity. And just like the song that we sing sometimes says, light of the world, step down into darkness. Jesus was part of the family when he came to be like us. And then the second incredible criteria, the qualifying factor, is that Jesus was willing to redeem us. We read about this attitude and mindset of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 which declares who but being in very nature God talking about Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to even death on a cross Jesus was willing to serve, being found in the appearance of a man and willing to become obedient to even death on a cross. But then we're left asking, thirdly, did Jesus have the means to redeem us? Yes, Jesus was able to redeem us because he lived a life without sin. And we read in Romans and other places in scripture how Jesus has the qualifications to redeem us Because referring to the fall and the disobedience through the line of Adam, Jesus comes to redeem us through the line of Christ. Romans 5 verses 18 to 19 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So Jesus has the means to redeem us. He is willing and he became like us. And then we're left asking the question, did Jesus have the means to pay the price for us? Is he able to pay the price in full? And the brilliant thing is that I hear the words that Jesus declared on the cross. 
when he said, it is finished, meaning that he paid the price for you and for me once and for all. So what do we see in our passage this morning? We see images. We see this narrative come to life. I see an abundant God who provides for us, who has more than enough for us, has leftovers and more. We are introduced to a character where we can see the image of Christ through his actions. That he was part of the family. He was willing to redeem and he had the means to pay the price in full. And Boaz demonstrates for us what Jesus has done for us. A future telling of what Christ would do when Jesus came to redeem us. And we see this image of abundance And because of what Jesus has done for us, we can live this abundant life, this fullness of life. Our saviour, who is the bread of life, offers us an overwhelming supply of grain. He offers us fullness of life so that we would never hunger and thirst again. He offers us life in abundance. He offers us safety to drink, a living water that satisfies. He offers us safety to rest, green pastures and still waters. He is our shepherd leading and guiding us through difficult terrain of life, the valleys and the mountaintops. He prepares a meal for us in the presence of our enemies and he offers us a place at his table. And I tell you what, at this feast, I think there will be leftovers. Which leaves us to ask the question, what are we to do with our leftovers? How are we sharing God's abundance with others? Because I'm just going to end with that image of the feeding of the 5,000, where we see this practice from our passage in Ruth again, repeated in scripture. Because we know the miracle, the well-known miracle of feeding the 5,000, or the not-so-well-known miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. But we speak about this boy who gave his packed lunch when Jesus' disciples come up to him and say, they're getting hungry, Lord. I think you need to stop teaching them and send them home. And Jesus' response to them is, what are you going to do about it? And he prays a blessing. He gives thanks to God for the limited food they do have. And then he encourages disciples to start feeding and serving people. And we were talking last week about the practical provision of gleaning and the soup run, how we often pray this prayer, the loaves and fish prayer, we call it, where we see God multiply what we have as we're feeding those that need it. But we read in Matthew verses, chapter 14, verse 20, this statement, this fact. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. We see it again, they were all satisfied, but there was more left over. 12 baskets full, we have more left over than we started with. And I find that amazing. We don't know what happened to the leftovers, but I bet you they went and then fed more. You cannot run out of God's provision. God's compassion for his people, his love, his mercy, his resources never run dry because he sent his son for you and for me. And when we share communion together as a family of God, I see this picture 
of what do we do with our leftovers? Who else are we sharing the family meal of God with? Today, we think about God in his abundance, sending his son Jesus so that we would never hunger and thirst again. My prayer this morning is that we would taste and see the abundance of God and that God through his spirit would challenge us what to do with our leftovers. Yes, practically, hospitality is a spiritual discipline. Yes, practically, we spoke about the soup run last week, ways that you could get involved. And we asked people to give financially uh, to cover the cost of the food uh, for the soup run and the card machine wasn't working. But it is today if anyone wants to give to the work of the soup run. Because you can't study the character of God or the abundance of Christ without asking, God, what do you want me to do about this? We're thinking about God's goodness, God's kindness to us, and we read in Romans that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So I'm going to invite the band to come, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then Steve is going to help us respond. Because today we have an invitation to meet with God in his kindness that leads us to repentance. We have an opportunity to just sing of God's amazing grace, this generosity and grace that he extends towards us. And we have an opportunity to say, God, what do you want me to do practically with my leftovers? God of abundance, how are you speaking to us this morning? What pictures and images do you want us to see? What words and dialogue do you want to add into this conversation? Holy Spirit, we pray. So let me pray for us now as Steve helps us to respond. God of amazing, generous grace, we come to worship you. We thank you for the images of abundance that we find in your scripture. The thoughts of leftovers after feeding 5,000. The thought of a vulnerable widow being offered food and there being more left over. The thought of not only gleaning, but sheaths being left out for her. We think of the radical kindness demonstrated in Boaz, but mainly in your son Jesus giving up his life for us to have abundant life. Lord, that is the ultimate expression of your love for us. So Lord, in your loving kindness, we invite you to come through your Holy Spirit now and to meet with us. Lord, would your kindness lead us to repentance when we're not sharing what we have? when we're not singing of your amazing grace, when we're not living in a way where our lives become an image of Christ who was to come. Lord, we want to praise you now in response and we pray that we would practically show hospitality to others, generosity to others. Receive our praise and adoration now. God of abundance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.